Good morning. Thank you for being here today to celebrate the event that no matter what Christians are divided about, this is the event that unites. This is the event that we're going to look at some different perspectives on how the resurrection affected some of the people who were surrounded who surrounded themselves with Jesus during his ministry and then after he died and had risen from the dead they began to have doubts feelings of being overwhelmed they began to have this hope of forgiveness and restoration we're going to look at the resurrection from some different perspectives. Three people who interacted with Jesus after he did exactly what he said he was going to do. We're going to peel back their lives a little bit and look at what they could have been thinking as they dealt with the fact that Jesus was no longer physically with them, but yet he had been resurrected and they interacted with his resurrected body. There's Mary, one of the two Marys that's talked about in the New Testament, not the mother of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene, who was one of the powerful women in the ministry of Christ, a powerful leader in his ministry, who was distraught and overwhelmed when she found out that Jesus was dead and then his body to her was missing. Then there's Thomas, who dealt with some really big doubts, wondering if Jesus really was who he said he was. And then there's Peter, who denied Jesus even existed after he walked with him for three years and watched his ministry and experienced Jesus doing miracle after miracle. He betrayed him. He messed up. And each of these three characters have a unique perspective on the resurrection as they're interacting with and wrestling with what went on the morning and then the days after Jesus rose from the dead. Our hope is when you hear these three perspectives, you, you see yourself in one or maybe all three. As you hear their stories and the emotions that they dealt with, you can say, that's, that's right where I would have been if I would have been there. So listen as we hear three perspectives from people who witnessed the resurrected Christ. How could he just leave me like this? He's gotten away from those who wanted to harm him so many times before. Why now? Why did he just let them take him like that? He was the only one who ever understood me. What am I supposed to do now? That was all I could think about as I went to prepare his broken body. Then when I saw the stone was gone from in front of the tomb, I was just so scared. I ran immediately to tell Peter and John, what have they done with his body? Where have they taken him? Why would they do something like this? How are we going to give him a proper anointing? What will everyone think? 
What am I supposed to do now? The angels that appeared at the tomb startled me, and I was overwhelmed with so many emotions. I just couldn't hold it in any longer. Why do you weep? They asked. Wasn't it obvious? They had taken my Lord. Then the gardener enters, asking the same thing. I thought maybe he had taken him. Where is he? I asked. Where have you put him? Mary, he said. And at that moment, I knew. I knew it was him. He looked at me with those eyes that know me more than anyone else could, and I became overwhelmed with joy. I hug him so tightly. I just can't let him go. Do not hold on to me, he said. Go. So I ran to tell the others that he is alive. I remember saying, I will not believe. Unless I touch him myself, I will not believe. Oh, I was such a fool. What happened to me between Judea and this, this doubter I had become? The man teaches like no other, heals the sick, silences the Pharisees, raises Lazarus to life, changes us all with two simple words, follow me. No one can explain the mystery that is wrapped up in this man. When he looks at you, he pierces your soul. He knows your thoughts, and yet you know he loves you anyway. This man, I was willing to die with this man. Then he started talking about actually dying and betrayal. He says Peter, of all people, will even deny him. And he's going to go, well, actually, he's going to leave us and go somewhere we cannot follow. I thought we were supposed to follow. Then there was the night of the arrest. Well, of course, we fled. We were so confused and scared. And and then he died. He actually died. What else is there? What is there to believe? He was a great man, and then he died. Well, he changed my life forever. And I'd hoped for something more, but, well, they buried him. There were rumors about a resurrection, but I just couldn't see how that was possible. Their words and experiences were not enough for me. I needed more. Then there he was, in all his glory, He entered the room and looked right at me like he knew that I didn't believe. Well, of course he knew. But with patience and love in his eyes, he told me to touch his wounds. I touched his side and ran my fingers down the scar where he'd been pierced with a sword. My Lord and my God, I will never doubt again. I've always known that Jesus knew me better than I knew myself, so the fact that he thought I was capable of denying him was insulting to me. I'm much more committed than any of the others. I will follow him to the death if I must, and I will never deny him. How could he say that to me? Later, it came out of my mouth without a thought and without hesitation. I don't know this man, I said. What is wrong with me? How could I possibly deny the one I've dedicated my life to follow? Not long afterwards, I hear these horrible words coming from my own mouth and being said with anger even. 
I don't know the man. I would deny my Lord because of fear. An hour later, someone pointed their finger at me and said I was one of his followers. And they all stared at me. And I denied it for the third time. And then it happened. I heard the sound that pierced my heart, the sound of a rooster crowing. I looked over quickly, hoping he didn't know, and Jesus was looking right at me. I was so ashamed. I turned from him and walked away, and I wept, and I wept. I lived with that shame for several days. But after Jesus rose from the dead, we were together, and he asked me, Do you love me, Peter? I said, hoping he believed me. You know I do, Lord. Then feed my lambs. Okay, I'll feed your lambs, Lord. Do you love me? He asked again. Yes, of course, you know I do, I said. Then feed my sheep. Okay, lambs, sheep, I'll do anything for you, Lord. Do you love me? He asked me again. I've got to be honest, I was a little bit upset at this point. I told him, you know all things, Lord. You know that I do. Then feed my sheep, he says. I start to tell him I would, and then I understand. He asked me for the third time. Then he gives me that look with those eyes of his. A look I've seen him give many times before. A look that lets me know that I'm completely forgiven. I can't believe he'd restore me after what I've done. How can anyone be full of so much love? He then says, follow me. And of course, I do completely. Three perspectives on this event called the resurrection. A perspective from a lady who showed up at the tomb ready to prepare Jesus' body for permanent burial. And was, she was so overwhelmed that she didn't even realize that Jesus was right there with her. A perspective from a guy named Thomas who, although he followed Christ for three years, still said, I want to see him or I'm not going to believe it. And a perspective from a guy who had made huge mistakes and still was restored by Christ. At my house, we have uh, this little uh, four-legged member of the family. Her name is Zoe. She's about that big, about that tall. She's white and fluffy and costs a lot of money to maintain. But I like her a lot, nevertheless. If I go in the kitchen and open up one of the cabinets and all I have to do is rustle up with a, a bag, getting a pretzel or something and cereal or something like that, and I just feel these eyes on me. And I turn around and she's on the, on the floor just going, no movement, nothing. She's just staring at my hand as I eat, as I take bites. She's just staring and just looking because she doesn't know that. She has to have a special diet and special food because it costs a lot to do the surgery to 
whatever problem that she's got. She doesn't know that, but she's real focused on the fact that I need a snack. The house could burn down around Zoe, and we would find her just like that, having not stopped being focused and overwhelmed with the fact, maybe I'm going to get a snack. Our lives can be a lot like that where we're so overwhelmed with things going on in our life, whether it's a relationship or a job loss or something that you're just dealing with, pain or regret, and, and you're just so overwhelmed with your stuff that you become oblivious to what's going on around you. That's what Mary was dealing with that day in the tomb. She was oblivious to what was going on around her because she was just so focused on the fact that Jesus is dead. He's gone. He left us. She was so focused on that that she didn't realize the, the, the angels speaking to her in the tomb were angels. Usually in scripture, when angels show up and speak to people, they die or they hit the ground and worship and, and they're scared. And she's so overwhelmed with what's going on in her life they talk to her and she's just like, oh yeah, they've taken Jesus. You know, she just doesn't even realize angels are talking to her. She's so overwhelmed that she has forgotten that Jesus said to her, when I'm, my body is destroyed, I will raise again on the third day. She's so overwhelmed. She's oblivious to the fact that a miracle has taken place just like Jesus said. She's just focused on her thing, on her grief, on her busyness to make sure everything's done just right. This is what happened that day in the tomb. In John chapter 20, verse 13, the angels say to her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She was so overwhelmed, she did not realize that Jesus was in touch of her, was right there in front of her. Whatever she was overwhelmed with, with her grief and her busyness, she almost missed Jesus. And many of you probably came today so overwhelmed with your stuff that you are missing the best parts of life. So focused on your schedule or so focused and overwhelmed with everything that's going on in your life. So focused like my dog sitting on the kitchen floor and all this stuff's going on around and you don't see anything else but the thing that is overwhelming you. Mary would say to you, her, here's her perspective on the resurrection. When I am overwhelmed, I can miss Jesus. She ended up seeing Jesus. She ended up recognizing him. Because God didn't design you to go through life overwhelmed. He designed you to enjoy a full life. Not to be overwhelmed with your schedule or your finances or your career or whatever else is going on in your life. 
If you live overwhelmed, you are going to miss out on the life God had planned for you. You're going to miss out on God's best. Sometimes I find myself so overwhelmed that that I miss out on what Jesus has to say to me when my Bible lays on a table or on my desk for a couple days not even being opened. And Mary was standing in the presence of Christ and because she was overwhelmed, she didn't even realize it. Many of you are so overwhelmed, you don't realize that Christ is right there ready to speak words of wisdom into your life. A few weeks ago, I got a text from a good friend of mine who is a pastor in another state. And the text said, I'm ready to quit. I give up. I don't even know if I care anymore. And I don't even know what I believe. He was having doubts. He was having doubts if he was doing the right thing, if he really believed what he said he believed. If we're honest, we all have doubts. I deal with that too. Every time we get ready to start something new as a church and, 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 I'm, and we're getting ready to just reveal something new and big and let's go and let's take the mountain, let's do this thing, let's, let's get more people into the message of Christ. And, and sometimes I find myself when I'm alone thinking, was that just my idea? Or was that God speaking? Can God really do the stuff that I'm telling people every week that he can do? And I struggle with doubting. But doubting is healthy. Doubting is something that all of us do. Having doubts, that's okay. Living in doubt is not. Growing up, I had this distorted view of God, one that was a picture of God that was this, most of the time, a little angry with people, very much frustrated and intolerable of us and the things that we mess up with. And I, I saw this picture of God as this deity that was just kind of waiting on me to mess up and kind of enjoyed it a little bit when I did. And, and if I doubted, it was like, you, you better not doubt or I'm just going to turn your spot in hell up just a little bit. Maybe a little bit hotter just for you, Donnie, because you're full of doubt. But as I began to look at the teachings of Christ, and I began to really let those get into my heart and into my life, I found that Jesus reveals a God to us that is anything but impatient with our doubts. A God that is comfortable with our questions, no matter how hard they are. So as I began to, to lead a church, I thought, well, we've got to have a church that is comfortable with people coming and asking questions. And we have to be comfortable saying, you know what, some things we just don't know. But it's okay to come with your doubts. See, I believe Thomas gets a bad rap. Because even if you've never read the Bible, you've heard people say, well, he's just a doubting Thomas. He's just, he doesn't believe, he's just a doubting Thomas. Just be patient with him, he's a doubting Thomas. Thomas did what any human would have done. He requested proof that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
In John 20, verse 25, Thomas said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week goes by because God doesn't always just answer our doubts because we want him to. Sometimes there's something to learn in the middle. Sometimes there's some waiting that we have to learn to do. And a week later, God shows up and says, Thomas, you doubt me? Feel this. Put your hand right here. Touch me. And I'll show you that I really rose from the dead. And Thomas's perspective on the resurrection would have been, Jesus will meet me in my doubts. It goes on to say, here's what Jesus said to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I know some of you are dealing with doubts. Some of you are here because it's Easter. Some of you are here because mama said you go to church on Easter and you want to honor mama and either go with her or be able to call her this afternoon. Mama, guess what I did? Went to church today. And some of you are sitting there thinking, this can, re- can this really help my life? Can the things that you say in a 20-minute, 25-minute talk, can that really make my marriage better, my life better? Can that really make a difference in what I do the other six days of the week? Those are legitimate questions. Can it really make a difference to be involved in a church to read the words of Christ, to get involved in relationships with other people, really, can it make a difference? Some of you are just sitting there like that, and I I mean, that's normal. I was that person sitting one time thinking, now the Bible really does have something to say. It seems like a pretty old book to me, to really have something to say to my life. And just like Jesus did for Thomas, I began to open up and read parts of the teachings of Christ just little by little and it wasn't long till my arms weren't crossed anymore and I was like wow that is working for them and this is what Jesus said and he really is who he says he is so if you're a doubter that's okay you come to the perfect church to doubt because we're comfortable with your questions God is comfortable with your questions because he offers proof. About 12 or 15 years ago, I can't remember the exact date, somebody walked into my office and he was distraught. He said, Donnie, I have destroyed my marriage. I have betrayed my wife. I don't know what to do next. And he began to share with me the stuff that he had done and I began to talk to him about what it meant to be forgiven and he wanted forgiveness and I talked to him about what it means to be restored and how a relationship can be restored and and we talked about that and he began to have this hope that he could be forgiven, this hope that things could be put back together, this hope that his marriage could be healed. If there's one thing that every single person in here is good at, that's making mistakes. And if you don't think you're good at making mistakes, 
and you don't think you make mistakes, well, that's a mistake, so welcome to the club. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. But in the middle of our mistakes, God is still with us. In the middle of Peter, three times denying Jesus. Do you know him? No, I don't know him. Do you, you know him? I've seen you with him. I don't know him. Hey, look at that. That's Peter. He's one of Jesus' followers. And Peter's like, blankety, blankety, blank. I don't know him. I mean, he just ripped off a bunch of curse words and said, I don't know the man. Right after Jesus said, you're going to deny me, and Peter said, I, well, there's no way. I follow better than anybody. I'm not going to make a mistake. And he made a mistake. But Jesus found him. Jesus went to him in the middle of his mistakes. And Jesus will find you in the middle of your mistakes. Jesus will find you in the middle of you feeling like nobody else cares because you've messed up so badly. He will come to you and reveal himself to you no matter what you've done. And just like he gave proof to Thomas, Jesus will forgive you for your mistakes. But Peter's perspective on the resurrection is, oh, it's more than forgiveness. Peter would say, Jesus does more than forgive me. Jesus restores me. It's not just like, well, I forgive you, now sit in the back row. I forgive you, now let me beat up on you a lot. And we feel like that, well, I'm forgiven, so if God would just let me in the back door of the kingdom, and I could just sit on the back row of church and just kind of just feel it because I'm, I messed up so bad, he just barely let me in the door because I messed up so bad. That's not how God forgives people. He goes beyond forgiveness, and he goes to restoration where he says, hey, come down front, because not only do I forgive you, I want to put you right back where you were. I want to make things even better than they were before. So resurrection to Peter would, would have meant forgiveness, but to him, it meant so much more. When Peter had gotten scared and stepped over the edge and made the mistake he never thought he would make, yet Jesus comes to him and sits down with him and eats with him and listens to the words in this conversation, after Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus has three questions for him. It says in verse 15 of John 21, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. If you think your mistakes are too bad, or you stepped over the edge too far, or you've messed up too many times, 
Peter's perspective on the resurrection would say, no, you haven't. Because I denied him and he forgave me and then he restored me. Essentially what Jesus did was he made Peter the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. A guy that had denied Jesus Christ with curses was forgiven and made the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. That's the kind of restoration that Jesus does. He can take something that you think's long gone and he can restore it. To this day, my friend that came into the office and said, I've messed up. He experienced forgiveness and he has a stronger marriage now than he ever had because it was restored through the power of Christ. So three people and three different perspectives. And you probably find yourself in one or all of these perspectives at a place where you're so overwhelmed with life, you're missing the obvious. At a place where you just got your arms crossed and you're just like, I doubt it. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think taking a next step is going to make a big difference. I don't think jumping into what our church is doing or what a church is doing is going to make a big difference. Maybe you're in the shoes of Peter. Where you need today to feel restored. You know, the Bible talks about this power that is available to all of us. Because sometimes we can read these stories and we feel like, that's just a 2,000-year-old story. That just happened a long time ago. That's true, it did. It is 2,000 years old. But it gives a testimony to the power of God to change people's lives. In fact, the Bible says when you step into the family of God, and you accept the teachings of Christ to rule and reign in your life, he gives you the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of you. And that may sound all weird to you, but it really happens. And that Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus Christ back to life. So we would all agree that it would take a lot of power to go down to the morgue and start raising people from the dead. It would take a lot of power. It would have taken a lot of power to bring Jesus out of the grave. Well, that same power is available to anyone who steps into the family of God and follows the teachings of Christ. It says so in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power is available to us. Whether you're living overwhelmed and you shouldn't, whether you're living life full of doubts or whether you've made a huge mistake, that power is available because Jesus is with you, he calms your doubts, and he restores you. That's what the resurrection is really all about. These three perspectives 
Maybe you found yourself in each of those three thinking, oh yeah, that's me, that's me, yep, well, that's me too. People who live with this this power to overcome these things that the people who followed Christ 2,000 years ago dealt with, they live differently. I just talked to someone this morning who's dealing with an amazing tragedy in their life that will shorten their life. And their comment was, well, I can't lose either way. Because they've got the power of Christ living in their life. Now, for those people who don't tap into that power, haven't stepped into the family of God, that seems a little weird. Seems kind of odd. Seems kind of odd that people would trust in this power that you, you can't really see it, touch it, but it's in each one of us if we believe. It kind of looks weird. And so for the next few weeks, we're going through a series called Weird. And how weird it is. To not be normal. So come back. Start next week. For the next five weeks, we're going to talk about what it's like to be weird. Some of you are really good at it. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about some of you over the next few weeks. But as you leave today, we're we're going to worship in a few minutes. The band's going to come back out. And we're going to sing about the resurrection. And as you think about which shoes you're in today, may you feel that power that's available to those who have made the decision to step into the family of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your awesome power. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power that you make available to us. May we feel that power as we live overwhelmed lives, as we deal with our doubt, and as we are all in desperate need of forgiveness and restoration. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.